the computer-generated world where you see and move and feel. Will real life ever be the same? It was more than a hundred years ago that Lewis Carroll wrote about Alice's trip through the looking glass. Now that fiction has become a reality, or you might say a virtual reality. The year is 1838. Queen Victoria has just taken the throne, slavery is abolished by the British Empire, and Charles Dickens publishes Oliver Twist. Meanwhile, at King's College London, British scientist Charles Wheatstone is working on something that, unbeknownst to him, will change the world nearly 200 years later, and possibly destroy it. Well, that's just a bit dramatic. Wheatstone's research describes stereopsis, which essentially shows that the brain combines two photographs, one eye viewing each, and these images can be manipulated to give it a sense of depth and immersion, or become three-dimensional. And this enabled him to create the earliest type of stereoscope, using mirrors to reflect printed images into the user's eyes at 45 degree angles through a set of looking glasses. And fast forward to 1956, when American cinematographer Morton Heilig created the Sensorama, the first ever virtual reality machine. Imagine, you know, the kind of booths you sit in at the supermarket to get a photo taken for your passport, except it's a mini cinema. Heilig's machine had 3D video, audio, vibrations, smell, and even wind effects. Um, unfortunately, only six films were developed for the Sensorama, no one saw this as the future, and no investors saw Heilig's vision of virtual reality. No, God, please, no, no! The films were expensive to make. Um, they required a full-color 3D camera during times where most households had a single black-and-white TV. And the only luck he had with investors is when he filmed a raunchy experience with a New York belly dancer having the Sensorama machine squirt out cheap perfume whenever she was near the camera. What do you think about that, Rue? That sounds exactly like the 3D sense you get at Odeon, and I'm not entirely sure how popular that is today. Do or they have 4D smell? sense, even. Do they have smell in that? Yeah, they've got smell, really? wind, humidity, and movement. Do the chairs move? Yeah. Oh, I've never been there. That sounds great. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it would put you off what you're watching. I've been on, like, uh, there's like a Shrek ride at the Universal Studios in Florida, and it's kind of like that, like a, a 4D Shrek experience. And oh, this is going back to like 2013 or 2014 or something like that. And that was that was good stuff, that technology. But now it's kind of like, oh. <laughs> I don't know. The, I went on the Star Wars simulator. That's kind of like that. The You know oh, the things yeah. on the arms? So it's like a big arm, holds the booth, and then it moves you around. And then you've got... You think you're in a ship and the whole thing shudders. That's pretty cool. But I that just mean cool. for like a, a film, perhaps. Mm, a bit for much. That for like two hours. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Two hours of just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Flailing on, hanging for deal life. Yeah. Welcome to the episode, guys. This is Edit's Anonymous um, podcast, episode 10. I'm Ryan and this is Rue. Different format this time. Um, so stick with us and... Tell us what you think. 
While in the next few years, Heilig pioneered the notion of head-mounted virtual reality with the telesphere mask, it was essentially strapping a huge screen to your face with low resolution. Um, and while the commercial market never took off, the next couple of decades saw immense investment in VR from the military. What if soldiers could fight wars without being there through a VR headset or have superhuman perception when piloting aircraft? So in 1979, this drove innovation to the point of integrating VR with the vital helmet. This was a, a state-of-the-art head-mounted display for pilots that tracked their eye and head movements. And while unfortunately conflict and war drives innovation and technological development, this set the tone for further integration of our physical bodies with computer simulations. I remember people talking about this. I didn't think it was as early as 1979. Oh yeah? Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen like a documentary that was talking about it, but I didn't realize it was as long ago as that. That if they want to fire a rocket, they look at the <laughs> at the other ship or ship, yep. the other plane, and it locks on rather than having to actually move the plane into being able to lock on. I was going to say, I bet this was inspired by the X-Wings <laughs> firing yeah. proton bombs into the Death Star. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that's when did Star Wars come out? Was that before or after? Yeah, I think the original Star Wars was the early 70s. Yeah. Oh, so they were like, I want that in my plane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it tracks. In 1982, uh, the patent was filed for Sayer Gloves by Sandin and Defanti. So this was the first ever wired data glove and it used flexible tubes mounted to your fingers with a light source at one end and a light sensor at the other. Um, and as your fingers bent, the amount of light that hit the sensors varied, which of course provided a measure of finger flexion, which could then be used to control computer software. All it takes is a special helmet and a glove, and you're off. You're gone, John. You're history. So in 1985, a company called VPL Research were the first to sell, quote unquote, VR goggles and gloves, 1985. They developed what was called the, the Data Glove, and it was based on the Sayer Glove, and the iPhone head-mounted display. $500? That is the most expensive phone in the world. Um, no, not, not with the letter I. This was iPhone, like E-Y-E. -E. Um, and they developed a simple 3D game that would let you pick up and see virtual objects, uh, but uh, it didn't quite work out for a variety of reasons. If dreams could be sold, what would you buy? The poet's question may soon have a practical answer. The goal of virtual reality is simple. It's total submersion, complete detachment from reality. The display could only render about five frames per second. That's like watching five pictures per second. And typically, most videos these days are about 30 FPS, while a smooth gaming experience would be around 60 FPS. Um, and it also cost upwards of $250,000 for all the necessary hardware, including the computer powerful enough to run it. As with most VR systems, Waldron's uses stereoscopic images projected onto tiny screens inside the viewer's helmet, a 
powerful computer then generates the graphics and sounds needed to convince the viewer he's in another world. Um, the standard consumer games console in that decade was, you might remember it, the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, which ran 2D games like Super Mario, Street Fighter, you know, things with like five pixels on the whole screen. Um, and they were way, way too early, but they couldn't have been more right. Do you know what the, the purpose of the Data Glove was? Was that for games or was it just for regular kind of... So this wasn't for games. This was basically a proof of concept. Um, what you could do is control a slider on a screen. If you can imagine like a, a slider that you slide from left to right, from zero to 100, um, this would be controlled by you flexing your finger. And they sort of saw this as a way to control computer interfaces or control machines. But yeah, there was no sense of uh, position and no sense of orientation or uh, rotation. It was just flexion. All right, cool. But then the the i iPhone. The iPhone, yeah. <laughs> Not Steve's one. Not um, Steve. That they wanted to use more for gaming. Yes, exactly. Oh, I see. Um, and they, they wanted to move into that industry, but the technology was just ridiculous. And as I said there, that 250 grand was the cheapest you could run this technology. And it was only five FPS, which is painful. How big was the computer you had to run it on? Oh, That's my question. Oh, you're talking like the size of a desk, maybe? God, people think your setup's pretty mental today if you've got it in like a standard case. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So fast forward to 1995, the video game revolution is happening. So based on the success of the Game Boy six years prior, Nintendo teases and releases the Virtual Boy, what they claim to be a revolutionary step forward in virtual reality gaming, transporting you into the worlds of, you know, Mario, Metroid, Doom. Um, th this thing looked like a pair of chunky red binoculars mounted to your tabletop with a camera tripod. Enter the unique world of virtual gameplay with Nintendo Virtual Boy. The first three-dimensional stereo immersive 32-bit video game system ever. Um, so if you're not driving and you're able to look at your phone, just look up a photo of it, the Virtual Boy by Nintendo. It looks like something Han Solo would use to take out some asteroids during the Kessel Run. This is like the 14th Star Wars reference in this podcast. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it didn't quite live up to the hype. Um, so what consumers actually got was a screen that could only show different shades of red. <laughs> very low quality games, uh, a lack of convincing 3D effects, and and it was just really, really heavy. And it was so unpopular actually that only 18 games were ever released for it in North America. And they seized production less than one year after release. So even after opening a factory in China dedicated to churning these things out, they pulled the plug. And then nothing. The, the vision of VR was way ahead of what we could do with the technology. Um, it was a pipe dream, essentially. And this meant that the industry lay stagnant for almost a decade.
I've seen stuff on the Virtual Boy before. It was so weird that you had to like sit it on a table in front of you and then like lean into it to look. <laughs> yeah. Which must have caused like the most neck strain a person can have. Oh, I never even thought of that. The posture behind it must yeah. be awful. Because it didn't come with a strap like you maybe see headsets today with you it, you it stood on the table upright and it, the tripod yeah. is really short as well it's not adjustable to like a comfortable seating position yeah which is weird to yeah. see from you know a company that saw mobile gaming through the game boy and that was like the biggest revolution ever really and then they just oh straight downhill with with vr yeah it's interesting um the, the whole life of nintendo isn't it you know, pioneering with like the NES, um, you've got the Game Boy, portable gaming, and you've obviously you've got the Wii, the Wii U, but we don't talk about that. The Switch. Well, I I, you could maybe classify the Wii U as a failure, but yeah, they do seem to like <laughs> yeah. be the, the the striving force, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like They for sure. hit stuff beforehand because they were the first company to do motion control with the Wii. And That's right. The, switch would have been the first like proper gaming experience that wasn't a mobile phone that you could play full games on which other companies have tried to do before it and it didn't really work yeah big up to nintendo yeah but just maybe not the virtual boy because it just sounds like it'd give you a headache but all was not lost vr was not gone it was merely developing in the shadows the first sign of life came when google revealed street view in 2007 a system that allowed users to step into the maps they were viewing to see the area from a first-hand perspective. This feat was possible by the use of a dodecahedral camera that was capable of capturing imagery from multiple cameras at once, something you might recognize from peripherals today. But it wasn't until 2010 when the Oculus Rift Kickstarter burst VR technology as we know it today. Where this all started was in my parents' garage in Long Beach, California. And I was interested in stereoscopic displays. I was interested in head mounts. And the problem was there was nothing that gave me the experience that I wanted, the matrix where I can plug in and actually be in the game. And I was sure that somewhere out there, there was something that I could buy. And the reality is there's nothing. I set out to change that with the Oculus Rift. For the first time, users could strap on a headset with internal screens to their face and experience media and games as if they were truly there in person video of which could be generated by the use of the Doha decahedral camera. The Rift had to be connected to a powerful PC, severely limiting the number of people who could access the tech. Despite this, the Rift went on to pique the interest of the market leaders across the globe and assumed quite a cult following. In 2014, seeing the potential of VR, Facebook bought Oculus for $2 billion. Mark Zuckerberg states that phones are the platform of today, but he's getting ready for the platform of tomorrow. This year also saw other established companies dipping their toes into the promising virtual pond. Google released Google Cardboard, a make-it-yourself cheap headset edition for mobile devices. PlayStation announced Project Morpheus, a VR accessory for the PS4. And Samsung announced Gear VR, a high-quality VR headset intended to be powered by their Galaxy Ranger phone. VR had become more accessible to more members of the public, but not all major players decided to take the same route. Microsoft divided itself from the pack when they announced their project, HoloLens. An augmented reality headset that rather than simulating a virtual environment like VR, it would layer simulation on top of the real world, the likes that had only been seen in sci-fi films. 
mere year later, VR enters the mainstream media when major news publications such as the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post release VR experiences like a roller coaster that follows the graphical plot of the Nasdaq stock market or attending the Correspondents Association dinner in the Oval Office. That is awesome. I used to love those. Uh, I had, I think it was a Google Cardboard I had and I slotted a Galaxy S6 in it. That roller coaster app on the Play Store was like insane. Did you ever have that? I had, I had a Google Cardboard, but I never really used the apps. I was more interested in like video, things like that. Like uh, 360 videos on YouTube, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, there was quite a popular roller coaster one, one of the early ones. Of like you actually first person on a roller coaster and it made you just a little bit ill, even though the Google Cardboard wasn't exactly <laughs> premium viewing, shall we say? Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. There was also the uh, the dinosaur experience. Do you remember that? No. Oh, I think it was just sort of like you stand somewhere and a T-Rex comes down and, and screams at you. This was like the Christmas where everyone was getting those little third-party VR headsets that you slot your phone in. Oh, cardboard, yeah. Cardboard, Gear VR, all that kind of stuff. And like you're sitting at Christmas dinner and making your <laughs> your grandma get attacked by a T-Rex. Yeah. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, any tech has to be shown to grand to see what happens when she puts on it. <laughs> By 2016, the world had caught VR fever. The number of companies working in the VR ecospace could be counted in the hundreds across applications, hardware, and experiences. All this innovation led to HTC releasing the Vive headset, the first headset and controller combination that allowed users to move freely within a VR space. A series of sensors were set up in the corners of the play space that were used to transfer the user's head and hand movements into the game and would allow them to move around without the need of a controller input like an analog stick or a D-pad. You're thinking about how it is to move around and use motion controls in the real world and having to take that into your design. I think there's a big problem with the perception of what VR should be or could be or was when it died in the 80s and people saw its rise and fall when the technology just wasn't quite there. And the Vive has totally changed that for a lot of people, but you have to put it on and experience it to see that. This is not really a virtual reality, it's an alternate reality. Once you get your hands on the Vive and you really can try it, and wrap your head around it, you can really understand all the different potential applications from business, communications, the medical and simulation and training and military. and Opportunities to send humans virtually into unsafe spaces. It puts you in an immersive environment and lets you take control of the whole world. Not to be outdone, Microsoft announced that they were developing their own mixed reality headsets that would allow the user to access VR content but did not require any external sensors for tracking. All tracking was carried out on the headset itself. Sony followed suit and began developing a similar tracking system for the PS4. This seemed to be the next milestone for the technology. Did you ever experience back in like 2016, 2017 VR in that way? Like the Vive or anything like that? No, no. I'd, I'd seen plenty of youtube where people were playing on their vive headsets and in, there were some places like um open days and like areas where you could see that you could try it out but there was never yeah. any spaces so i never got to experience like early vr i didn't know what it was like yeah same here it was crazy because you saw it everywhere and all these companies were using it as their marketing ploy when you go to the the shopping center and there's like a HTC Vive or like, come try VR, whatever it was. And it's just one of those things you always wanted to try, but it's so inaccessible. Do you know how much the, the Vive cost? Yeah, it was $800. 
So that would be seven, what, ten in pounds? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So Jeez. pretty expensive. You could get probably at the time two PS4s. <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah. And the thing is, with with the Vive as well, you needed a powerful PC to use that. So the entry barrier to, you know, have VR at home is like at least fifteen hundred. Oh, that's minimum. But if you're including headsets, you're probably looking at possibly a grand in PC because you need an RTX. I believe it would be a 1080 at the time, which was yeah. pretty expensive. So you, your custom PC was probably reaching about a grand to be ready for VR. Uh-huh. The set itself with the HTC only came with two sensors. So if you wanted to make a pretty extensive play space, that would be an extra two sensors you'd probably have to get. You're looking at yeah. upwards two grand, probably more, most likely, to get a decent VR experience. Over the next few years, VR technology showed no sign of slowing down. Rather, it was expanding, both in capabilities and application. It began to be used for treating psychological disorders, giving children a new way of learning, and allowing bedbound terminally ill patients to have one last chance for adventure. All this was possible even without the need for a computer or a phone upon the release of the Oculus Go that provided all the sensing and processing on the system itself. However, controls were simplified to one remote and head movement was limited to four axes. Was this as good as VR got? Absolutely not. Oculus shocked the world just a year later when they released the Quest, another independent headset with full controller tracking support and even the ability to track the user's hand. It was capable of running scaled-down versions of big titles and set a precedent for the entire industry for what VR should be. It's the vision that we had even six years ago, just the idea of not connected to anything. You put this magic hat on and you're transported to these different worlds. It seemed to have worked as Steam, a popular digital games distributor, reported that the number of monthly connected headsets had passed over one million for the very first time. I love it. I didn't even hear about the Quest when it came out. What what year was that? 2017. No, 18. Uh-huh. 2018. 2018. Yeah. Sold out very quickly after it came out. Oh, yeah. Which was mental. Having the ability to play these games and like, you know, the full experience, like hand tracking, full controller support, um, six degrees of freedom, the whole shebang, like without a gaming PC. Yeah. It was, it's all about, as soon as Facebook took over Oculus, it's all about like lowering that entry barrier to get as many people on the platform playing VR as possible in the whole world. Yeah, I'm thinking you maybe didn't hear about it because there weren't like a ton of AAA titles. So there were like bigger titles on there, obviously, but none of the, like the heavy hitters of VR at the time were on it. So it's probably sure, why yeah. the Vive was still what most people would use when you're you're watching videos or reviews or whatever that's right yeah because as you said there these are like dumbed down versions of of the you know the vr games you play on pc because the quest runs on android yeah developers have to port their games that would usually be running on like you know expensive computer hardware and dumb down all the graphics and all that sort of stuff to be able to run on a little thing on your face it's the same as strapping a phone to your face just slightly more uh, sophisticated shall we say yeah So where does that leave VR today? VR can accelerate new insights and help usher change, not through force or coercion, but through the power of perspective. The second version of the Quest shipped out last October, that would have been 2020, and has been sold out every restock since. Facebook have already announced a version three for 2022, so things are just about to get better. It's a tool that allows a deeper look into the human experience. 
and allows us to access information that would otherwise be unattainable. New peripherals such as shoes, walking machines and gloves appear on funding websites constantly. In the case of virtual reality, you can transport yourself to another time and place, put on a headset and look around as if you're actually there. Progress hasn't stagnated at all. It's driving forward. Who's to say what comes next? It's everything we've known before. Art, education, entertainment, science, information. And viewing it through a new lens. One that isn't bound by screens, phones, or keyboards. But rather, the mind. As we enter the simulation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the the oasis like ready player one oh, when mate. you turn it on and you genuinely feel like you're inside of the game yeah yeah do you see a point where people could um replace their physical jobs with a job in vr what if someone in a vr bar wanted to be served fake beer by a real person i mean i, I don't see why not i feel like <laughs> Have you ever heard of EVE Online? Yes. So that's like a mass multiplayer set in space and you actually use real currency. So you can do cargo runs where you buy the shipment with in-game credits, which you would have paid for for real money. And you can receive real money, essentially, when you deliver it. Like the eco space, Wait. because it's driven by your money, is actually like a representation of real money. Can you withdraw it into the real world? I don't know if you can withdraw it, but you can trade. Oh yeah, you could like PayPal trade or something like that and transfer it to someone's account. Really good shit or whatever. Then they could give you the money and you could transfer it to their account. Mate, that is bonkers. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. There was a really big war they had on there and it lasted said, yeah. ages. And they said it costs like a mil of real life money yeah. total, which is crazy. So I don't see why not. Like I don't see why... You couldn't get paid for a VR service. Even if it's just like, I need a buddy for this game, I'll pay you. Because I think that happens. I think people do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't see why not. It's just like what the task is. Yeah. But we're, when we're talking like Oasis level, there is an entire, you know, metaverse inside of the VR. Um, if you've not seen Ready Player One, it's in a dystopian future where everyone spends most of their waking hours in a VR world because the real world is falling apart basically which is getting more true every day it's a, it's a great a great visualization of it so i think if there if there were like a developed enough game or like social space or whatever entirely possible as i understand it moore's law dictates that the number of transistors on a chip will double roughly every 24 months now does that mean that the speed also doubles theoretically God, if you double your speed even once i'd have an easier time staying awake while you were talking you know, th these advances in silicon engineering directly drive our ability to run more powerful software, thus more realistic and detailed graphics. 5G could mean that we could send and receive images in real time at a resolution almost identical to real life. But there's, there's much more to VR than visuals. Um, the more mainstream the tech becomes, the more use cases are viable. So we'll use it for education, for attending events, for training surgeons, for performing surgery, um, and, and more advanced combat training. So what happens when the way we currently interact with the virtual world becomes outdated? 
when we need to be more nimble and accurate with our hands, something that buttons and motion tracking with a camera cannot keep up with, that's where BCIs come in, which stands for Brain Computer Interfaces. It's mind over machine. A butler man, paralyzed from the neck down, uses his mind to give a high five. Sounds like science fiction, doesn't it? But researchers here are making it a reality. A very simple BCI is available for VR use. It sits somewhere in your, on your scalp and basically detects how hard you're focusing and activates a theoretical switch when the alpha waves in your brain go over or under a certain threshold. Alpha waves are indicative of overall brain activity, so with the right sensors, you can pick these up. However, that's kind of like having a big jar of sweets, but you can only tell roughly how many sweets are in the jar at any given time. You cannot tell which type, um, how heavy they are, what color they are, how big certain ones are. You get the idea. That's sort of where the technology of BCIs lie right now. But last week, Gabe Newell, the CEO of Valve and Steam, the world's biggest PC game distribution and development platform, released a brand new interview on this very topic. And he said that by 2022, any developer not engaged with BCIs is making a big, big, silly mistake. Imagine moving a mechanical arm by just thinking about it, or playing a video game using only your mind. Yes. Although it may seem like science fiction, scientists and engineers have been developing this technology for decades. Imagine if you could change your settings, navigate a menu, pick up items, interact with a virtual world without moving a single physical muscle. What if the software knew exactly how you were feeling? Happy, sad, anxious, excited, bored, and then the software adapted itself. But what if advertisers knew that their ad bored you? What if you were taking an online class and your teacher knew you weren't paying attention just from your brainwaves? Can you imagine getting personalized Amazon recommendations based on what you were thinking the night before? Yeah, I feel like Amazon already does that to me. <laughs> How though? <laughs> I, I don't know. Any little conversation I have, it pops up instantly. One time I was talking to my friend about a video of a giant spider that I hadn't seen in about two years. And uh -huh. by the time we got to work, and this is 30 minutes, the next thing on my Facebook feed was the video of the giant spider. So if I'm thinking it, I'm going to talk about it. So I'm not entirely sure how much that would change right, my life. But I think for most people, what you think and what you say is totally different. What if you're not with anyone? What if you're sitting, what if you're on the bus, let's say, for example, to work um, and you're just thinking, you're thinking about stuff or it's 11 o'clock at night and you're in your bedroom and you're thinking about stuff, you know, fleeting thoughts that you don't even remember and you start getting ads for those. Yeah. Imagine you have like a particularly like dumb idea in your head and then they start giving you stuff for it. Like see if you wanted to build just some mental thing right like yeah, an iron dumb. man suit oh yeah like an iron man suit and uh, <laughs> you're like actually i don't have the cash for that right now i don't i shouldn't do that and then it starts giving you ads for all the parts you need 
and like solutions to how you could do that you'd mm-hmm. have to buy the kit then wouldn't you because <laughs> you're like right i have the idea absolutely yeah I- or it just puts them all on your amazon wish list just when they cross your mind imagine that oh that'd be dangerous i mean i've already bought <laughs> stuff just on a whim i bought a ukulele because i was in my bed at one in the morning and went i might buy a ukulele and i just did imagine if that was an easier step to that i would be in debt instantly there you go but in terms of using it for like gaming is it more immersive for it to do what you're thinking or for you to physically do it because in real life you would have to physically do it i think it depends i think if you know if you want to change your settings or what if you're playing a game where you're a magic what if you're playing a game where you're a wizard and you have telekinesis powers that would be immersive yeah that would be yeah i'm guessing like the the jumps would be different so if you can get to the point where you moving the character with your brain feels like how you would move your body with your brain then that Mm. would be truly immersive but the kind of midpoint there would probably almost be like a step down i i think i agree with you yeah yeah in a lot of ways it's kind of like a fitbit in your skull with tiny wires Neuralink wants to connect our brains to computers, and now it's showed off a device reading a pig's brain signals in real time. But how does it work, and will it turn you into a cyborg? I'm going to break it all down for you. Up to now, we've talked about the ability for BCIs to read your brain signals. But Elon Musk has been talking about something quite different recently with his vision of Neuralink the brain implant he claims will solve various neurodegenerative disorders such as Parkinson's by basically emulating the brain signals that your brain can no longer naturally send this would be implanted into your brain basically. Neuralink is a minuscule brain implant that's going to merge humans and AI. Musk thinks this is necessary to prolong life on planet earth but many others feel as if Neuralink is a slippery slope to human extinction. Imagine the ability to write to your brain. Just like in the Matrix, you'd be plugged into a VR world, whether that's through a headset or a cable. (laughs) Um, But there's no screen. There's no screen to look at. The signals are sent straight to the visual processing sectors of your brain. There would be no need for eyes or taste buds or ears or a nose. The signals would just be generated by the BCI and written straight to your brain. If you if you think about it, currently the computer renders a world, displays it on a screen, the light reflects into your eyes, then your brain processes it. That's three different layers of interpretation. But what if you could reduce that to one? The visual signals produced by these types of interfaces would have better graphics than in real life. Sounds quite cool, doesn't it? Well, here's where it gets a bit dark. So let's imagine you get a computer virus on your laptop. Your screen goes fuzzy, your files get corrupted. Damn it. Oh well, uh, take it to the repair shop or restore it from a backup. If things are particularly bad, shut it down and wipe it. But The year is 2075. Cars fly, we've cured 80% of autoimmune diseases. You spend most of your day in the virtual world. But what if your VR headset 
and brain-computer interface was compromised by hackers. In a read-only scenario, they could get your credit card details when you think about them, read all of your passwords from your thoughts. But in a write scenario, where your BCI gives signals to your brain, they could blast static noise and horrific sounds into your head, make you see some awful things, and possibly wipe your hard drive. The next thing you know, you're, you don't know your name, you're running around the woods naked, all because you tried to watch a raunchy video of a New York belly dancer. The fact of the matter is, in virtual reality, there is no limit to what we can do. We can be anywhere, anytime, any place, and uh, it's really, that's the issue. It's total escapism. This might be a turning point for the human race. We might be going inward towards an artificial experience. Elon Musk dreams of an eventual symbiosis between humans and artificial intelligence, but in 50 years, just because we can, doesn't mean we should. But as AI develops, will we even have a choice? What do you think about that? I. Uh Remember a similar story when they came up with pacemakers that you could calibrate and check wirelessly. Oh. So what they would do is they'd have a little transmitter and receiver. They'd set that on top of where your pacemaker is placed and you'd get a connection that way. And then that way they could monitor if it was working right, if there's any problems. They could collect data from it if it was tracking your beat, see if it was regular, that kind of stuff. Okay. So yep. really clever decision that you could do it wirelessly and that's fine. It helps the person who's got the pacemaker, it helps the doctor. Great invention. But because you can make that connection, if a hacker can get into that connection, they could kill you instantly. And that was like a big thing when that technology was a uh, was around that you could technically if you could get the signal close enough so that it could pick it up, gone. So the the fix for that I believe is that it's really it has to be very very close for a connection to get picked up yeah that that's like the, the modern day version of what what i'm proposing here yeah that's mad yeah but if bci is the way that this seems to work i imagine you'd have a network because you'd have to update in, in in some way shape or form well yeah yeah and i, I don't know I, I always thought that if you try and the brain is already complex it's crazy and we don't even understand even a small percentage of it mm-hmm Giving people the ability to control that is, I don't know. I don't know if you could fix a person who'd been hacked. Where would you start? Like what horrible things they could do to your brain. It's uh, unfathomable, I think. Can you imagine having like a, a little hard drive, like the ones you got now as your PC backup, but that's your backup. <laughs> so it's just like you've got it sitting on like a dusty shelf somewhere. Yeah. And, and the kids going, what's that? And you go, that's actually me from five years ago. Yeah, if I could be downloaded as a backup for that, I think it would be on like an S Club 7 CD. Because <laughs> who's, who's going to pick that up and mess with it? No one. <laughs> okay, it's got to be uh, Nickelback. There Nickelback you go. CD. There, there you go. go. No one will have any idea that that's you. I don't think if given the option, I would uh, 
put any sort of interface in me. Me neither. I, I I'm I'm fairly certain that you know the generations after us when they grow up, this will be normalized. You know, in the way that our grandparents are very reluctant to go on any sort of social media or any sort of, um, you know, smartphone applications um, or emails. Two generations, three generations after us, when possibly Neuralink is commonplace, we will be the people saying, get that away from me. (laughs) No Neuralink at the table. What have you been told? Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everyone, to this virtual reality special on the Idiots Anonymous podcast. And we hope you enjoyed this format. Let us know if it's something that you'd like to hear more of. And who knows, maybe at this rate, you might be able to stream episode 500 straight to your brain. Oh, I hope not. Me too. That would be awful. 